If you would take your Bibles then and turn to the book of Mark. We are in a series these months going through the book of Mark, the second gospel. And we are in chapter 4 today. In his fourth chapter, Mark records three parables of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Let me draw your attention to the first two verses. He says again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. Taught them many things by parables. If we go to the end of the chapter, verse 33. Mark says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. Many parables. Mark, interesting enough, Although he twice says in this chapter that Jesus taught with many parables, which is true. Jesus used this form of teaching often. Mark only records four of them in his whole gospel. One in chapter 12 and three here in chapter 4. So today we're going to look at the three that Mark records here in this chapter. Jesus was a storyteller. He was a good storyteller. Maybe some of you are good storytellers. If not, you know good storytellers. I'm married to a good storyteller. She had a father who was a good storyteller. Jesus was a great storyteller. And it doesn't matter what culture a person might be in, it seems that every culture value stories. It seems to be a universal way of remembering, of teaching stories. And so Jesus did the same when he was teaching. He used stories. And his stories are called parables, which simply means it's a story that you would say is earthly because it deals with something very familiar to the people who are listening. But it's special in the sense that even though it's a familiar earthly story, it has some kind of spiritual lesson, some kind of spiritual meaning to it. Those are parables. Jesus told parables about the kingdom of God. Most of his parables were about that subject, the kingdom of God. Of God. And if you're familiar with the parables of Jesus, you know that many of them started with words like, the kingdom of God is like. Or what is the kingdom of God like? It is like most of Jesus' parables were about the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is like and how one can enter the kingdom of God and who is a part of the kingdom of God. Most of his parables related to that subject. 
<clears throat> the Jews in that day were very interested in kingdoms. They were familiar with kingdoms. I mean, you know from the Old Testament that the Jewish people knew about kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel. There was the southern kingdom of Judah. There were kings. The Jewish people knew about kings and kingdoms. They knew about Saul, about David, about Solomon, Josiah. Kingdoms were important to them, not only because of their history, but because throughout their history, the Jewish people were looking ahead toward another kingdom, the kingdom of God, over, who, over which they believed that the coming Messiah would rule. And so kingdoms, specifically the kingdom of God, was very important to the Jewish people. But Roman people, to whom Mark is mostly presenting Jesus here in Mark, kingdoms were important too. Roman people knew about kingdoms. The Roman Empire was a kingdom. The Roman Empire had a king. He was called an emperor, but he ruled. And so the Romans knew about kingdoms. And so when Jesus tells his parables about the kingdom of God, that would catch the interest of both Jewish people and Roman people, the subject of kingdoms. And so Jesus tells his stories about the kingdom of God. On your sheet, or you can turn back to chapter 1, but back in, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark says this, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' message from the start of his ministry. It was the good news that the kingdom of God had come. And that to enter you must repent and believe. That was his message. And one of the ways he told that message was through parables about the kingdom of God. So let's look at the three in chapter 4 that Mark presents to us. Uh, what I want to do, I've got my New Living Bible here, which is easier to understand. <clears throat> And Janine says it's falling apart. But uh, I want to read verses uh, 10 through 12 here for you. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him, what do your stories mean? What do your parables mean? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret about the kingdom of God. They're about the kingdom of God. But I am using these stories to conceal everything about it from outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And he quotes from Isaiah. They see what I do, but they don't perceive its meaning. They hear my words, but they don't understand. So they will not turn from their sins and be forgiven. They don't want to see. They don't want to understand. They don't want to perceive because they don't want to turn from their sins and be forgiven. Verse uh, 21, then Jesus asked them, 
Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed to shut out the light? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Now, just in the context of this chapter, I think what he's talking about is the truth about the kingdom. You don't hide it. It's, it's a new thing. It's been kept from people, but now it's not a secret anymore. I'm telling you about it. Verse 22, everything that is now hidden or secret will eventually be brought to light. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand and be sure to pay attention to what you hear. The more you do this, the more you will understand and even more besides. To those who are open to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, even what they have will be taken away from them. Now, I read those two passages before we look at the three parables, just to give this general information that Jesus is is passing on to them. I think what he's saying is that the parables, the stories about the kingdom, are to present a mystery, to present something that hasn't been taught before. Because the kingdom of God is here now. I can teach you about it. He's also saying, it's the people, and you recognize this phrase, I'm sure. It's the people who have ears to hear who will understand these stories and what the meaning is. He says those who don't want to see, they're not going to get it. Those who don't want to understand, they're not interested in the kingdom, they won't get it. They'll think it's foolish. But he says, those who have ears to hear, those who are interested, those who want to understand, those who want to learn from these stories, they will understand. Okay? So that's kind of the idea of let those who have ears to hear, hear. And kind of general thoughts about parables. So I hope as we go into these three, you have ears to hear, that you're interested in what Jesus is saying, and that you want to understand. Because if that's the case, God will give you that understanding. So let's look at the first parable in Mark chapter 4. All three are about the kingdom of God. All three kind of deal with the familiar area of farming to the people that are listening. The first one is about the sower and the seed, probably the most familiar parable that Jesus told. The second is about the growing seed, and the third about the mustard seed. Let's look at the first parable. He tells it starting in verse 3. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. End of story. People listening could relate. Very common 
familiar subject to them. They could picture, I'm sure, what Jesus was describing. A farmer goes out to plant his seeds. And so their picture would be of a, of a man with his sack over his shoulder with the seeds in the sack, walking up and down the field, taking seed out of the bag and, and scattering it. A farmer goes out to sow the seed. And then he goes on to talk about four different kinds of soil in this story that that seed would fall on. And based on the kind of soil the seed would fall on, you had different outcomes. Four different outcomes. Four different kinds of soils. So let's just see what the story says. So the sower is sowing his seed. And as he's doing that, some of it is falling along the path. It's probably a a hard-packed walking path by the field. And he says, the birds came and ate up that seed, which makes sense. It falls on a hard-packed surface, just sitting there on top, and the birds come and food. And they eat it up, and that seed is, is gone. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. The soil was shallow. Uh, in that day, a lot of the fields had areas where it was kind of a limestone, just beneath the surface. So it was only two or three inches of soil, and then you had this, this limestone, this, this rock. And so he says in the story, some of the seed fell in those areas. And uh, it, it began to come up, but because of how little soil there was, it never took root. And where's the life of a plant? It comes from the root, doesn't it? So if it never took root, it couldn't put roots down because of the, the stone. It soon withered and died, gone. He goes on, he says, there was a third kind of soil the seed fell on. And this, according to verse 7, was among thorns. And some of you have gardens that look like that, right? Some of you have flower patches that look like you're raising thorns, right? And so here the seed falls on an area where there's just thorns growing. And it says, that seed was quickly choked out by the presence of those thorns. And so it, it fizzled out. And then the fourth, there was good soil. And the seed, hopefully lots of it, most of it, fell on the good soil. And he says what happened to that is that it came up, it grew, which implies there was root there, and it produced a crop. It bore a great amount of fruit. And that's the story. Fortunately... With this story, with this parable, Jesus gives the meaning. So you don't even have to guess what he means by this. Let's go down to verse 13 to see the meaning. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He seems to be saying, guys, this is the simplest one. (laughs) You better get this one. But he gives them the meaning. Verse 14. The farmer sows the word, so we know what the seed is. It's the word. It's the message. 
at that time, what message would it be? What word? It would be the message Jesus has been presenting. He's been sowing the word. Remember chapter 1? He's been sowing the word, the message of the kingdom of God, the good news. So the seed is the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So it sounds like the soil represents people, different kinds of people who are hearing the word, hearing the message. And he says the first seed fell along that hard path. That's where the word is put out there. But immediately, he says, Satan comes and takes it away. There were people in Jesus' day, and we've already met them the last few weeks, who when they heard Jesus' message, when they heard the word, when he sowed the seed of the good news, they had no interest at all. It was like it went in one ear and out the other. And how does Jesus explain that? Satan comes and he takes it away right away. He goes on. Verse 16, others, other people, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They receive the message excitedly. It really stirs them. They receive it with joy. But since they have no root, nothing is really happening. Inside, it's superficial. They last only a short time because when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the second kind of people are the people who hear the message. They get all excited initially about it, grab on to it. But there's no root. Nothing has really happened down inside. There's really no life-producing going on and when the emotion is gone when the, when the excitement is gone they're back to what they always were third verse uh, 18 still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful so he says these are the people who hear the word. And they might even agree that it's what they need. They might agree that it's worth listening to. It's, it's worth believing. But all these other things get in the way, like the thorns. Uh, he calls it the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, uh, desires for other things. And those things get in the way and keep them from responding. To the word, it's kind of like the uh, the young man who was proposing to his girlfriend. He said it this way, "Darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all my heart." She thought for a minute. And then replied, 
I love you with all my heart, too. But tell me more about Johnny Brown. I think those are the people that the third kind of soil is describing in the story. They hear, they know it's important, this message, this good news, this gospel. They know it's something they should get into. But there's these other things. There's the wealth. There's the pleasure. There's all this that the world offers. There are the things they might have to give up. And so they'll say to Jesus, oh, I need you. But there are these other things. And I cannot let them go. And then Jesus says, the fourth soil represents people. Verse 20. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and they produce a crop. They bear fruit. Something happens inside. They not only hear the word, they accept it. They believe it. And root takes. Life-producing root. Something happens inside. And they begin to grow. And they produce fruit. And remember what James says in chapter 2 of his letter. Faith without works. Faith without fruits is dead. He says, if you just have faith and there is no fruit, there is nothing happening to prove you have faith. James says that's dead faith. And he says that faith doesn't save anybody. Because the faith that saves, that really takes root, is the faith that begins to produce change, produce fruit. Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. There's fruit. There's proof. And Jesus says in the story, that's the good soil. That's the people who hear the message. They receive it. They accept it. They believe it. It does something inside that takes root, and they begin to grow, and life begins to happen, and they produce fruit. And so that's his meaning. To the first parable. It has to do with the word of God, the good news, the message of the kingdom being presented. It's the same message, just like it's the same seed coming out of the sack of the, the farmer. The difference is it's landing on different soils. Different people are hearing the message. And based on that, you have different outcomes. And Jesus, during his ministry, experienced all four responses to his message. And as we go through the book of Mark, we are going to see examples of all four of those. All four of the different kinds of responses to the good news message that Jesus had about the kingdom. He had people who heard him and it went in one ear and out the other. They weren't interested. Satan came and took it right away. There were people when they heard Jesus, they got all excited and they kept following him because it was so neat, all the things that were happening. 
But it was just surface excitement. When Jesus started getting more serious, they were gone. It wasn't real. Jesus experienced people who heard his message. They understood what he was saying. They even said they wanted it, but they couldn't give up the things of this world. The thorns had choked them out. And then Jesus had people who heard his message and they accepted it. They believed it. Something happened in their hearts that began to produce a new life. And there was fruit. Jesus experienced all four responses to that same message that he presented. And we'll see examples of that as we go through the book. Let's go to the second story in chapter 4 here. These are shorter, and uh, I think it's pretty easy to see what he's saying about the kingdom of God. Verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself. And the Greek word is automate. We get the word automatic from that. So he's saying automatically (laughs) the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, his listeners would understand that if they knew anything about farming. And if you're a farmer, you know exactly what he's saying. If you've ever been a farmer in your past or just a garden, you know what he's saying. You, you do the work to put the seed in the ground. And let's say it's in May. If you live in Embarrass, it's 1st of July. But you put the seed in the ground, all right? And he says, then the farmer goes about his business. He sleeps, he gets up, lives his life. And while he's living his life, something is happening underground. Something is going on with that seed. And the farmer's not doing it. Something is happening, happening there almost automatically, down deep. Life is starting. Root is being taken. And pretty soon the farmer starts seeing the results. Did he produce the results? No. It happened. He planted the seed. And he'll be ready in August or September to reap it. But between those two times, something is happening that he doesn't have a part in. Jesus doesn't give the meaning here, which is common. But we can understand the meaning. What's he saying about the kingdom of God? When the message, the word, remember the seed is the word. When the message is put out there, the person who put out the message doesn't do the work from then on. Something begins to happen down deep in the lives of people. Who's doing that work if it's not the person who shared the word? It's God. The Apostle Paul understood that in 1 Corinthians 3. He talked about 
those who plant and, and those who water. But he said, God produces the growth. God does the work. And I think that's what he's saying about the kingdom. The kingdom is like that. Somebody presents the word, presents the truth, presents the good news of the gospel, the kingdom. And then the work begins inside of people's hearts. And what happens there is not the doing of the person who shared the word. It's God's work. And pretty soon you begin to see the results of what God has done with the seed that was planted. That's happening in the kingdom of God all the time. The third story in Mark 4 starts in verse 30. He, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a, <clears throat> like a mustard seed, which is smallest seed you plant. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. End of story. People listening, <clears throat> they can picture it. It's familiar. Mustard seed. Tiny, tiny, tiny. And yet you plant a mustard seed, and it can produce this, this tree that's about 8 to 10 feet, sturdy branches, with room for many, many, many birds. What's he saying about the kingdom? He says he's describing the kingdom of God. Well, what I see here is that he's saying the kingdom of God begins small. When did the kingdom of God begin? When Jesus came. He's beginning the kingdom. He says in chapter 1, the kingdom is here. And he began to present the message of what it's like and how you get in. And so it's just starting with Jesus. I think what he's saying is the kingdom of God is like that mustard seed. It starts small, but it is going to grow. The kingdom of God is going to grow, and there's going to be room for many. And just think how the kingdom of God has been growing since Jesus began to sow those tiny mustard seeds. Kingdom of God, friends, has room for anyone who chooses to enter it. <clears throat> so there you have three parables, three stories. They're all about the kingdom of God. They're all about seed. <clears throat> and the seed is the word, Jesus says. And they're about responses to the word, different responses. And they're about the mysterious way that God works once the word is planted to produce life. And they're about a kingdom that began small with Jesus. Now this huge kingdom with room for many. <clears throat> the kingdom of God. Are you living right now 
Are you living in the kingdom of God? Under the rule of King Jesus, Lord and Savior. Have you entered the kingdom of God? If not, I'm just going to take for granted you've heard the message. You've heard the good news. You've heard the good news that God loves you so much that despite your, your sinfulness and going off on your own in your life, even though that has separated you from God, and if that doesn't change, you face an eternity apart from Him someday. But even though that's true, God sent Jesus. Jesus lived this sinless life. He then went to the cross and He took on Himself all your sin that you deserve to be judged for. But Jesus was judged on the cross for your sin. He paid your penalty so that available to you is forgiveness. Available to you is salvation, rescue. Like Colossians 1 says, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus. The Bible says if you will just acknowledge that truth, confess your sin that Jesus paid for, and seek that forgiveness that he made possible, receive him into your life, Commit your life to Him. You'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. You will enter the kingdom of God. Now, you just heard a shortened version of that good news. What are you going to do? My encouragement is do not let Satan come in the next few seconds and just take it away and take away another opportunity for life in the kingdom of God. My encouragement is do not hear this message and get all emotional and say some words or make some decision that has no depth to it at all. It's just surface excitement, emotion. My encouragement is when you hear this good news again, this gospel, Watch out for sitting there and thinking, yeah, I've heard that before. It's, I believe it's true. I, I really need that. But, and you start thinking about the things you might have to give up in this world. And let those things get in the way again. I encourage you to have ears to hear. Hear the gospel message. Accept the gospel message. Respond to the gospel message. Seek God's forgiveness. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Trust Him as Lord and Savior that you might enter the kingdom of God under the rule of your Lord and Savior, Jesus.
And next year when we have a salvation birthday party for those who came to Christ in February, you get to stand. It's still February. It could be your birth into the kingdom of God. And next year we would celebrate your one-year birthday. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. That can be your birthday song. If you will respond, if you will be the good soil and respond to the good news, surrender to Jesus. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a very simple song that will help you if this is going to be the day that you will once and for all surrender your life to Jesus and enter his kingdom. I encourage you to do that as we're singing that song. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for these three stories that Jesus told. The message is clear. The good news has gone out. The word has gone out about salvation. About salvation being what brings us into your kingdom. Father, I pray that there will be someone here today who in the next few minutes will respond to that good news of salvation. And that as we sing about surrendering, they will indeed surrender their lives once and for all to you for forgiveness, for salvation. And Father, we will celebrate with them as you bring them into your kingdom. And today becomes the day of their salvation birth. May your spirit work in the next moments here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Yeah.
Surrendered your life to Christ as we were singing. If, if today was the day that you gave him all and were forgiven and entered his kingdom, praise the Lord. Happy birthday. Tell somebody. Tell somebody who can encourage you and uh, help guide you in growing in this new faith as you begin your life in the kingdom of God. If you're at home, you listen to this service from somewhere in the country or world, please send a comment if you surrendered your life to Christ. We have ways that we can help you as well. God bless you. Have a good day.